This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. Hello and welcome. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. Only here on 90.5 KCSU. I am one of two news directors... I'm joined in studio by Emily Moshak, my co-host, as well as our lovely reporters, Ren Wadsworth, Katie Otter, and I'm J.D. Layton. See, I did a little reversal. I, I went, was going to say, I was like, I didn't know if you realized you didn't say your name. No, I, or I, not. I know. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, do we have an action-packed show for you today. Woo, it's just chock full of all the newsy bits that you want to hear and know about. Mm-hmm. Well, we have an interview about World, World Water, Water Day, Day which is coming up. We've got a, a, a report on an international, or the Boulder International Film Festival by our very own Maximus Hunter. We have some newscasts from Katie Otter and Ren Wadsworth. And a discussion about whether or not you are legally allowed to flip off police officers. So. Oh, wow. Well, mm. I can barely wait, so we might as well just jump on into the local news right now with Ren. Absolutely. Alrighty, this is Ren Wadsworth, and this is your local news. If you live anywhere in the Colorado area, you probably are aware of the drastic temperature change from Tuesday to Wednesday. Sadie Swanson from the Colorado reports the wind speeds in Fort Collins were as low as 26 miles per hour and reached all the way up to 50 miles per hour all Thursday. The weather was said to cause power outages, icy roads, and dangerous driving conditions. The icy wind wasn't expected to stop until 11 a.m. this morning. Denver and Front Range Weather on Facebook posted some noteworthy statistics about yesterday's blizzard, some being that it produced a 97-mile-per-hour wind gust in Colorado Springs, which is the same strength as a Category 2 hurricane. It canceled more than 1,300 flights out of Denver International Airport. More than 1,000 drivers were left stranded on highways and freeways due to low visibility, leading to Denver Police responding to over 125 crashes. Pueblo recorded its lowest barometric pressure in history since records began in the 1800s, and every major freeway in and out of Denver was closed at one point, with many of them still being closed. The Coloradans reporter Eric Larson also stated some downfalls of the weather by stating, due to Wednesday's whiteout conditions, snowpacked roads, and frequent power outages across the Front Range, printing and delivery of Thursday's Fort Collins, Colorado, and other newspapers printed and delivered out of Denver will be significantly delayed. So if you're waiting for your Thursday issue of the Denver Post, you may just have to wait one more day. Joe Moylan from the Greeley Tribune reports that the Greeley and Fort Collins police officers will face off later this month in a charity hockey game. The games will take place on March 23rd at 4.30 p.m. at the Greeley Ice House, 908th Avenue. Proceeds from the game, named Face Off for Children, will benefit life stories of Weld County and respite care of Laramie County. The Better Business Bureau that serves northern Colorado and Wyoming is warning customers about a business that claims to sell and breed dogs from a local Fort Collins address. Reports the Denver Channel. The company, named Ace Kennels, has received a F rating from the Better Business Bureau due to the company not responding to customer complaints. Most of the compla- complaints stem from customers believing that shipping was part of their initial payment for their pooch, but then later being informed it would cost them an extra 1600 to 2600 for crate expenses, since the company insisted the crates needed to have air conditioning and be electric. 
However, none of these expenses were made clear when customers started looking into buying their new pets. When the address of Ace Kennels was looked into, the Better Business Bureau found out found out that it was non-existent and any efforts made to contact the establishment went unheard. The Better Business Bureau says these puppy scams are not particularly original and even offer some tips to prevent being scammed yourselves. Do your research and only purchase from a reputable dealer. Check B Better Business Bureau profiles on www.bbb.org for complaints and other customer reviews. If you find a pet online, make arrangements to meet with the prospective seller in person. Most legitimate breeders will welcome the visit. Never send cash via money, order, or Western Union to someone you have not met in person. Always use a credit card in case you need to dispute the charges. If you find a pet online but are not able to meet the breeder in person, conduct an internet search of the puppy's photo. This can reveal whether or not the photos are exclusive to the site or you are on, or the same photo has been used on other websites. I'm Ren Wadsworth, and this was your local news with the Rocky Mountain Review. So I was driving down to Denver today, and I saw exactly what you were talking about with the, like, you know, snow-packed cars on the highway. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. There were so many. I've never seen so many cars just, like, stuck on the side of the highway. At one point, there was just, like, an enormous field to the right, and there was a car that had skid. It must have been, like, 100, 200, oh like, 300 goodness. feet away from the highway out into the, the road. And I just couldn't believe it. Oh, that would be so scary. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, it is not great weather, but stay safe out there, everybody. But switching from snow over to water, we have a special interview with our friends at the Colorado Water Center and CSU's Environmental Justice Working Group about World Water Day, which is coming up in a few days next week. And the Colorado Water Center and EJWG are helping to celebrate World Water Day by hosting a film screening at the Lyric, highlighting some of the issues we have with getting water to everyone in the world on March 27th. So if you like water or need it to live, which is pretty much everybody, I think you'll want to hear this interview we have coming up. I just don't even know what to say. If you need water to live, who who doesn't need water That's to live? That's my point. Everyone should listen to this interview. <sighs> well, keep that dialogue because we've got a lovely interview coming up next, only here on 90.5 KCSU for Collins. I'm Stephanie Maitland. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Sociology, and I also work with the Colorado School of Public Health, and we run the Environmental Justice Working Group. I'm Melinda Lituri. I'm in the Department of Ecosystem Science and Sustainability, and I'm also the director of the Geospatial Centroid here at CSU. I'm Katie Bamer, and I'm the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the Colorado Water Center that's based here on campus. And we are here to talk about World Water Day. So for our listeners who don't know, can you tell them when is it, how is it established if you know, and then what can our listeners do if they would like to help honor World Water Day? Yeah, so World Water Day was an initiative that was started by the UN. It was first celebrated in 1993, and they um, started all of this to bring awareness to freshwater resources and the crisis surrounding those um, around the globe and about sanitation and sustainably managing water. And so it has been going strong for, um, what is that, 26 years. So it's celebrated every year on March 22nd, uh, which is in the middle of spring break here at CSU. So our event is on March 27th. Um, and this year, the theme is Water for All, which ties into one of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, part of that goal is uh, sustainably manage fresh water and sanitation for the whole world by 2030. Uh, right now, only about one-third of the world has that kind of access. Um, so this year, the event and the celebration worldwide is just to raise awareness around the fact that 
not everybody on this planet has access to clean water and sanitation services, and we should be doing a lot more to make sure that people have access to those kinds of resources. The World Water Day website says its goal is to have uh, water for all by 2030. Do you really think this is a realistic goal? And what are your ideas on how to necessarily attain that? So uh, this is Stephanie. I can I can talk to that a little bit. I teach a course on campus called uh, Water Society and Environment. And this is basically what we look at, the social justice and social institutions around water and around our economic system. And I will simply say that it will take the same kind of massive political and economic shifting required to mitigate climate change to achieve this goal as well would be my my thoughts on this. So rapid economic change with a much more sustainable system in place. And then would you be able to just elaborate on the Environmental Justice Working Group as well as the Colorado Water Center? Okay. Good at that. okay, so um, with the Environmental Justice Working Group, we have been a group on campus for four years now, supported by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability, so thank you, Sojus. Um, we are working to become a center for environmental studies, or environmental justice, sorry, and um, the goal is to create an interdisciplinary space on campus where we can do research on environmental justice and bring together faculty working on those issues as well as graduate students, but the bigger goal is to actually create a community across northern Colorado and link us in with national and global communities doing environmental justice research, training, and engagement and outreach efforts. So that's what we're here to do on campus. Awesome. How would one get involved if they were interested? Well, you can definitely look at our website. We're the Environmental Justice Working Group again. Our website is through SOGIS, but we have um, several events coming up, and uh, you can always look for advertising from us on campus for that. Otherwise, shoot myself or email, or email Melinda um, an email, and we will um, be able to share you share a lot of information with you. And Catherine Powlin is also our program coordinator. She has a CSU email that's easy to access, so you can email her to get on our listserv as well. How about the Colorado Water Center? Yeah, so CSU is a land-grant university, and every land-grant university has a federally mandated water center. So that's how we became the Colorado Water Center. Um, we're based here on campus, and we've got folks working here in Fort Collins as well as all across the state. The center funds and facilitates research. Um, Stephanie and Melinda have actually been both on the receiving end of that funding in the past. Um, we do training and education, so we've got programs for K-12 through that some of our staff administer. We've got folks, again, across the state doing programs that do professional development. There's a program here in northern Colorado called Water Literate Leaders, um, and there's a group that focuses on the Poudre River that we facilitate. And then we've got classes as well. There's an undergraduate minor called SWIM, Sustainable Water Interdisciplinary Minor. We've got some graduate seminars. There's a new um, GES course that SOGIS administers through us. And then um, we've also got all kinds of engagement and collaboration opportunities. There are folks from our staff who are advising on watershed plans in different parts of the state um, that are engaging local utilities in water sustainability and management. And then we do things like this event for World Water Day to get people in Fort Collins out and about and engaged with water. How important would you consider uh, water sustainability, especially in the Front Range, given how scarce water is? In Colorado, it is huge. We ha are seeing our population grow extremely fast. It's one of the fastest growing states and regions in the United States. Um, and everybody needs water when they're moving here. And some of those systems are already in place, like places Fort Collins, like Fort Collins and Denver and Colorado Springs. But there are also people 
um, moving to exurbs and what we call the wildland urban interface, the WUI, and water infrastructure isn't even necessarily set up in some of those places to support the kinds of populations that are moving there. Um, Colorado River, as most people should know, is uh, running in increasingly dry every year, and Arizona just missed its deadline for its management plan related to sustainably using the Colorado sustainably using the Colorado River. Um, so using less water, using water more efficiently through practices like agriculture and stuff is huge for this part of the country. And then you're hosting a film screening at the Lyric on March 27th. What is a film and why do you feel it embodies the message of World Water Day? Yeah, so this year the film is called Water and Power, a California heist. It's a Nat Geo documentary that's won some awards and it's a fresh historical perspective on um, some kind of water struggles in California, kind of the face-off of huge agricultural barrens versus smaller communities, smaller farmers, um, and just how water rights have been really disproportionately um, distributed and how that all has all played out. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but um, it's pretty dramatic and interesting, and um, it's a scenario that's very comparable to some things happening here in Colorado, and there are, I think, lessons to be learned on both sides, and um, it just ties really well into that theme this year of water for all, um, not just the folks who have money. <laughs> And I'd like to just um, tag on to that. One of the big issues with water is this issue of public versus private goods. And water, of course, is something that's vital for all life. So many folks feel that everyone should have access to it, right? This is kind of the theme of the UN's Declaration Water for All. But one of the increasing um, outcomes has been that water is privatized more and more and that um, we run the risk several years down the road of having to pay quite a bit to access water, like many people already do in the rest of the world. So um, this issue of privatization is is, is an interesting part of the film and a really important part of this discussion. So we're glad to be able to provide a venue that gets us started thinking about that here in the West. So I would add just one comment to that, um, that we're talking about water as something that we have to use. Mm -hmm. And we have to step back and also remember that water itself as a, as a object, as an entity, uh, is an environmental force. And how do we work to protect that? And how do we give that a voice to ensure that someone speaks for the water, someone speaks for the rivers, someone speaks for the environment? And that's another part of this story with respect to access to water and making sure that the environment and the ecology have access to water as well. And even though the film is focused in California, and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you think its message can relate to Colorado and specifically Fort Collins? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is water in the West, and it, it's a very particular story with respect to um, the power brokers. Uh, who are the power brokers now? How does this need to change? How does our Western water law need to begin to change to adapt to new conditions? We need to have these very hard conversations that... Um, mean that we'll gonna, we're going to upset the existing status quo. And agricultural actors also play a large role in this, right, both in California and here in Colorado. For example, Weld County, right, is the, one of the top 10 ag-producing counties in the United States. So um, what we decide to do with water and what's going on in California have a lot of really important parallels, and we're very connected through Western Water Compacts as well. So we, we've touched on the fact that water is relatively scarce, and we're, we're trying to push it to be well, not necessarily push it, but have it be more of a, a public good accessible to all as well as the ecology in itself. Are there any uh, players at Forest and Fort Collins that are necessarily pushing for that more so than others? And is there like a 
push back with that as well. Like in an agricultural sense, maybe there's a, a push to keep water private, to keep it for farms. So I, I, I don't even want to dip my toe in this conversation because it's so controversial, but <laughs> many people are probably familiar with the, um, the controversy over, over NISP or the Northern Integrated Supply Project, right? That would talk about um, trying to guarantee water access for the growing population here in Northern Colorado. And of course, that would mean um, some very not popular developments along the Poudre River. That's one, um, and Save the Poudre is just one example of an organization that's mobilized um, to respond to that project, right? So it's an example of, of these tensions being very present here in Fort Collins. Um, and there are issues with privatization as well, but those are usually much more below the surface. So I invite all of you to start digging around a little bit. Peter Gleek with the Pacific Institute out of California does some amazing work on water privatization, and that's a great way to start learning about it because it's certainly not, um, n we don't know enough about it, and it's not in the news media hardly ever, except for like ProPublica, for example. So shout out to even having this on the radio station. This is amazing. <laughs> no problem. And going back to the film, what do our listeners need to know? if they want to go see their film. So we will be at the Lyric Theater on March 27th. Starts at 6.30. Tickets are available on their website as well as our website, which is watercenter.colestate.edu. Tickets are 15 bucks, $10 for students with a valid ID. Um, so that event will kick off with some brief remarks from the Water Center, the EJ Group, the Student Sustainability Center, which is another one of our partners on this, and then... Um, all of the proceeds for the event goes to Trees Water People, which is a local organization here in Fort Collins. So they'll have someone talking about their work and the impact that funding, like the, like what we're contributing, will have for them. Um, and then the film is about two hours, and then we'll be all hanging out afterwards. And we'll be around to chat with people if they're interested in getting involved with any of our groups more or just learning more about what we're doing here in Colorado. Awesome. And that's March 27th at, you said, 630? Yep. 6.30 at the Lyric. Thank We're you for good. having us. Thank yeah. you for coming yeah, in. We appreciate it. We're excited to celebrate World Water Day and see the film with the Lyric. Croikies, mate. Welcome to Sound Kitchen. I'm DJ St. Clair, here to cook up some beats seasoned with the finest blend of music from local, international, and domestic artists. Catch me on Tuesdays from 1 to 3 on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show. I'm your host, J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Emily Moshak, as well as our two reporters, Ren Wandsworth and Katie Otter. That was an interview with our friends at the Colorado Water Center and Environmental Justice Working Group talking about World Water Day, which is Friday, March 22nd. I heard recently that we had a film festival here. You know, yeah, we did last weekend. I the think they're Boulder International Film Festival in, in Fort Collins. In Fort Collins, yeah, they came to Fort Collins. Uh, I, you know, if only there was a way that we could learn more about this. Yeah, you know, actually, I think one of our reporters was able to go to the festival and uh, record what we missed. That's right. It was Maximus Hunter. It was. And he's here to give you the scoop on the Boulder International Film Festival. So keep that dial locked only here on ninety point five KCSU Fort Collins. The Boulder International Film Festival is a staple of the Boulder arts community. But having it at Fort Collins? That's a twist that nobody expected. Hi, I'm Maximus Hunter, and I was lucky enough to see the Fort Collins showcase of the Boulder International Film Festival for the first time ever, or as it would come to be known, Biff Foco. 
taking place at the Lincoln Center last weekend on Friday, March 8th and Saturday the 9th, a prime selection of Biff films were showcased with shorts interspersed throughout. On Friday night, the opening movie was The Weight of Water, a deep take on the complicated emotional journey of Eric Weimer, a blind man who has solo kayaked the Grand Canyon as well as climbed Everest. I was fortunate enough to catch the film's director, Michael Brown, for a brief chat at the reception before the screening. Okay, so hi, I'm Michael Brown. Hi, Michael, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a filmmaker. What films have you made, specifically maybe ones we're seeing tonight? Yeah, so I've been a filmmaker for a long time, and uh, I, uh, tonight is a film that I made over the last four years. I had two kids in the process of making this film, so it took me four years to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's called The Weight of Water, and it's the story of a blind man kayaking the Grand Canyon. Actually, two blind men kayaking the Grand Canyon. We were then interrupted by a band which began to play, so we moved into one of those small rooms between the sets of doors that connects the Lincoln Center to the outside world. How did I get started? Well, back, my, my family was all in film. My older brothers and younger brother were all in film, and they had a project for National Geographic in Mexico, kayaking. These beautiful blue waterfalls. And I wanted to be a, a, uh, a uh, meteorologist and study the weather, but... Uh, when I helped them with this one project, it was going to be a one-off. But I went to Mexico, and I got off the plane. I got three mosquito bites in about ten seconds. And I said, this is the life for me. And I never looked back. And this is all I've done for the last, I guess it's been about 30 years since then. That's fantastic. So with, with this documentary, what inspired you to, to follow this story? I, I first met Eric Weinmayer, who's the blind athlete in our film, I first met Eric in the year 2000, right before he was going to go and attempt Mount Everest. And that was the year that I was on Mount Everest from my first climb. And I made it up, and then they were looking for a filmmaker to go up and shoot as Eric attempted Everest for the first time. And uh, I, they, they hired me to be a consultant and to help them find a film crew. And I got frustrated in the process and just decided to do it myself. And I'm glad I did, because that worked out really well, and we became really good friends. We've made, made a bunch of projects since then. But this is by far the most interesting thing we've done. Uh, this film is... It, what I like about it is that it... Uh, instead of creating a hero, which we might have done with the first film when he climbed Everest, this takes someone who people think of as a hero and turns him into a human being. And you see his vulnerability and his fear... And so the, the backdrop is the Grand Canyon and kayaking, but really that's not the kind of movie that it is. It isn't, it isn't what you would think of as a, a kayaking movie. It is an adventure movie for sure, but it's definitely about a story of someone who's very vulnerable, and you get to know him pretty well throughout his trip down the canyon. And ultimately he faces some pretty tough stuff. And is he, in, a, in a sense he becomes all of us, and that's why people connect with it as we... Uh, we, we get that feeling of uh, we all get a second chance sometimes. After that, a gentleman who worked for the Lincoln Center came in and whisked our interviewee away. I wasn't able to catch it on tape, but he told me that at its original screening in Boulder, the film got a standing ovation. Here it did too. The rest of the film screened on Saturday were the pick of the litter from the Biff. The Biggest Little Farm, the story of the reconstruction of an abandoned plot of farming land. Giant Little Ones is a story of two teenage swimming stars are living the high school dream until they become intimate with each other. 
Finally, a tuba to Cuba is an adventure to Cuba to learn about the origins of New Orleans jazz. I got to speak to Kathy Beck, the director of the BIF, about the film festival and what it means that it's coming to Fort Collins. I'm Kathy Beck and I'm the director of the Boulder International Film Festival and the BIF Fort Collins Film Festival. Thanks, Kathy. So how long have you been doing BIF in Fort Collins? Well, we haven't done it yet. We're about to start momentarily. Wow. This is our first year. So we've done BIF in Boulder for 15 years, but this is our first time here in Fort Collins and we're so excited about it. That is very exciting. Uh, what gave you the idea to set up the festival in Fort Collins? Well, we, as I mentioned, it's our 15th year in Boulder. We've spent many, many years building relationships with studios and getting great films, meeting distributors. It's difficult to do that. You have to build that up over many years. And now uh, that we have that, we want to share some of those world-class films that we're screening in Boulder here in Fort Collins. This is a wonderful community. It's very artistic. It's very community-oriented. It's very creative. And I think they're going to really enjoy the films we're bringing here. Fantastic. Uh, What goes into picking which films come to Fort Collins? Well, we actually curate it very specifically. It's not an accident that our opening night film here is a whitewater kayaking film. <laughs> so, we, you know, we looked at the films, we said, what would play well here? It turns out that the things that we picked are were award winners in BIF last weekend. Perfect. And most of them won major awards. Uh, for example, uh, Biggest Little Farm is going to screen tomorrow, and that film won the grand prize $10,000 prize last weekend in Boulder, wow. and Best Documentary, so uh, you, we have an absolutely stellar lineup here. Can you tell me about what kind of films Boulder Film Festival looks for in general? Well, we look for films, there's one common denominator in the films that we screen, and that is great storytelling. So whether it's a documentary, a feature film, a short film, an animated film, an adventure film, a student film, there's one common denominator, and that's great storytelling. So if a film has a great story to tell and they tell it well, those are the kind of films we're looking for. And I think we brought pretty much the cream of the crop from Boulder over here to Fort Collins this oh, weekend. Can you tell us about some of the artists here tonight? Yeah. Well, we have uh, well we have filmmakers. Um, we have Michael Brown, who's the filmmaker for Weight of Water. But we also have uh, a singer-songwriter showcase that we do every year in Boulder. And we're doing that here as well. So we'll have singer-songwriters playing before each film for the whole weekend here. Awesome. And tonight we had uh, Bonnie and Taylor Sims, and we have the Gorilla Fan for Brass Band. And then tomorrow we have just an absolutely stellar lineup of musicians coming in, including Liz Barnes, who was on NPR um, this weekend or yesterday or some at some point really recently. So sh- she's big. Everybody's a fabulous uh, singer-songwriter that we're featuring here, and we have a great lineup. That's fantastic. All right, last question. Yeah. Uh, for those people who've never heard of Biff or who may have never been to a film festival before, what would you want to say to them to get them out here? We really have something for everyone. We have a music film tomorrow, a tuba to Cuba. We've got, as I mentioned, Biggest Little Farm, which is about a couple who buy a very arid land and turn it into a paradise. Uh, we also have a film uh, a, with Maria Bello and Kyle McLaughlin. We had Maria Bello at the festival in Boulder our second year, so we're really excited about that. It's a wonderful story, uh, kind of a coming-of-age story. That's something, you know, many people 
people would love that film. We're really happy to have it. We have two shorts programs, and shorts programs are always fun because they're almost like the weather. If you don't like one, just wait a little bit and it'll change. There's, we, we have some award winners here, some that have been nominated for an Academy Award. Some, we have the best um, short film that won last weekend. We have the best animated film that won last weekend. So the shorts programs always sell out first in Boulder. So uh, they are not to be missed. Thank you so much. Thank you. The film festival was well enjoyed by the people who attended. And hopefully we'll return to Fort Collins next year. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Moshak. As well as our reporters... Ren Wadsworth. And Katie Otter. And that was a lovely little feature from our very own Maximus Hunter on the Boulder International Film Festival in Fort Collins. See that three times fast. I know. It's definitely <laughs> difficult, but there were a lot of great films, and we're glad Max was there to cover it. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bummed out I missed it. But that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But if movies aren't your thing, music may be. And up next, we have a music segment from our very own Henry Netherland. He had the opportunity to sit down with John, the drummer from Daughters. So keep that dial locked only here on 90.5 Casey Issue for Collins. I'm Henry Netherland, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm here with John Severson, the drummer of noise rock group Daughters, whose last full-length, You Won't Get What You Want, was released in 2018 to universal acclaim. They're about to go on stage at the Gothic Theater here in Englewood, Colorado. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm all right, man. Feeling good for the show? Yeah. Great. What emotions do you try to evoke with your music? Um, live, I hope that we uh, excite you enough so you participate because it only works like that. It doesn't really work if we're playing at you. It's just useless to me. Um, I, I guess, though, making the music, we want to affect you one way or the other, um, but we're not really concerned with how we affect you. We just want to affect you, you know, and everyone reacts differently. But we, uh, I think the intent is, the intent is there's not necessarily a specific plan in mind. But we try to be gross and pretty at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I don't know, whatever tickles our funny bone gets us going there. And how would you describe your music to someone who typically doesn't gravitate towards darker musical themes? I don't know, man. I, to be honest with you, I've been asked that a few times. I don't know how to answer that. Like, I just, uh, my Aunt Jill asks me, what do you guys sound like? What kind of band are you? I mean, I could say, like, rock and roll, or I could say, you know, punk rock, and neither of those really describe it, but I guess for somebody that kind of uh, has a little more idea in mind of um, music broken down, I don't know, man. Noise rock seems to be the easiest thing to go with. I just, I don't know. How have you personally evolved rhythmically as a drummer? How have I evolved rhythmically? Yeah. Uh, the older I get, um, I guess uh, the more I write, the more practice I'm getting as a drummer, the more I have to use my brain. I refuse to use the same tricks over and over again, so I'm forced to either survive as a drummer that's evolving at all times, or just fail as a drummer and give up altogether. So um, I'm still learning. I'm still that vulnerable kid sitting down at the drum kit that I was when I was uh, 13 trying to figure it out. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's a constant evolution in that term for this band. How do you feel about the openers for your show? They're great. 
We were handpicked and we're happy about them. We're happy they said yes. What musical inspirations did you all carry into the new record? Every, man, we didn't really like sit down and discuss with it, each other. But um, I mean, if you're gonna, if you know you're gonna sit down and try to write a record, and you're gonna do it kind of fresh, not rehashing your old ideas, you really got to do your homework and get excited about music again. And if you can't get yourself excited, why bother, right? Because you're just gonna fake it. You're gonna hear that in the music. Uh, for me, I went back and I, d I wanted to discover kind of new drummers that had techniques I'd never really tapped into. Uh, I forget the fella's name, but he was the Captain Beefheart drummer on Trout Mask Replica. He almost does not play the uh, snare drum at all. He was all uh, toms and hi-hats, but it sounded full. You didn't even notice the snare drum wasn't there. So, stuff like that. Weird disco drummers, too. Mm. Like disco drummers that were jazz guys that were forced to play disco. There's a difference from a disco drummer or a jazz guy that got a gig as a disco drummer. Doesn't really know how to pull it off. And by accident, it creates a whole new style. So I just went looking for happy accidents in music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Are there any visual elements incorporated into the show? Uh, I mean, besides, uh, besides us being quite the oddity at times. No, I mean, like, production? Is that what you mean? Yeah, more production, lights. No, I mean, we're not going to Kiss Route with all the fire and pyro, if that's what you're asking. Um, no, I mean, we use the club stuff. We have a backdrop sometimes, maybe. That's about it. And uh, what does the future look like for the band? Any upcoming projects besides this? Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, we're still seeing if we can do it together. We broke up for a very specific reason. We couldn't deal with each other. So it's day to day, seeing if we can get through the touring. The idea is to get to the next record. Get through the touring on this one to start the next one. But also take it slow, because we got to figure out if we're going to be able to do that. So uh, it's pretty, it can be volatile, you know? We're old dynamite at this point, so we got to handle each other pretty easy. Alright, and on that note, I'd like to thank John Severson, drummer of the band Daughters, for joining me tonight. For KCSU, I'm Henry Netherland. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Masha. As well as our very own reporters... Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Katie Otter. And uh, that was Henry Netherland and uh, his little interview with uh, John Severson, the drummer of Daughters. And it certainly sounded loud there, but at a concert, that's what you want. Indeed. <laughs> I don't know. Imagine how disappointing it'd be to go to, to, to a concert and it's just quiet and sad. I guess if it's like a, I don't know, like a... It's smooth that style jazz. Of music, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even smooth Easy jazz listening. isn't quiet though. It's not like I don't know. I've gone to some smooth jazz know. concerts and they're not they're not quiet. I can't say I've if never. I've never been. Concert? Do you want it to like turn into a rock show? Well, that's true. Well, but that would be pretty Chopin. rowdy. <laughs> but we digress from our mission. We're here to deliver the news, and that's what we're doing. Katie Otter's Ooh. got national news. I'm Katie Otter with your national news. Back in September, a 24-year-old woman named Jennifer Patrick was arrested in Ocala, Florida on drug charges. During her strip search at the jail, a baggie containing 2.5 grams of tannish powder that included fentanyl dropped from her body, but Patrick was able to pick it up and hide it, according to Vice News. Later that day, a 22-year-old woman named Lorraine Gardner, who was in the same jail for drug charges, died from a drug overdose. Security camera footage from the jail showed Patrick handing something to Gardner and then Gardner putting it up to her face. Gardner ended up overdosing on the drugs that were given to her by Patrick. 
and Patrick was charged with first-degree murder in November. Now she is facing the possibility of spending the rest of her life behind bars. The lead prosecutor in Patrick's case, Amy Burnt, says that she is committed to putting Patrick away for life. A law law signed by former Florida Governor Rick Scott created mandatory minimums for fentanyl possession, and it cemented first-degree murder as a charge in cases where a death occurs after a drug transaction. Burnt believes that life in prison without parole is the right penalty. Researchers from the U.S. Geological Survey have come to the conclusion that even a small amount of sea level rise in California has the possibility of overwhelming communities when a storm hits at the same time, reports the Los Angeles Times. This has been the most extensive study on sea level rise in California, and the researchers are saying that the end of the century could be much more devastating than any earthquake or wildfire in the state's history. This study has combined sea level rise, storms, wave action, cliff erosion, beach loss, as well as other coastal threats across California. And the researchers have come to the conclusion that more than half of Californians and $150 billion worth of property are at risk of flooding by the year 2100. The risks are especially high for those who have decided to live Uh, Excuse me, for the millions of people who've decided to live and build their houses along the edge of the Pacific Ocean. In the latest national climate assessment, it has been concluded that $1 trillion in coastal real estate is threatened by rising sea levels, storm surges, and high tide flooding, all accelerated by climate change. The state of New York is currently facing one of its most severe outbreak, uh, outbreaks of measles in decades, and public health officials in Rockland County banned all unvaccinated children from attending school in November, retor- reports the New York Times. 42 children have been affected, and their parents sued the private school Green Meadow Waldorf School, school and asked a federal judge to allow their children to return. On Tuesday of this week... That request was denied by Judge Vincent Burchetti during a hearing at federal court district court in White Plains, New York. Burchetti said that the parents of the unvaccinated children failed to prove, quote, that public interest weighs in favor of granting an injunction, quote, to allow the children to return to school. There have been no confirmed cases of measles at Green Meadow Waldorf School, which is K through 12, but Rockland County, where the school is, has had 146 confirmed cases since October, with most of the people diagnosed being 18 years old or younger. The county was worried about unvaccinated children being out in public um, and being exposed to measles there and then bringing them back into the school. A A lawyer representing the children says that they were unvaccinated because they had received religion based exemptions to vaccinations, but none of them are Orthodox Jews. Yesterday, the United Nations published their most comprehensive assessment on the state of the environment, and the results are not good. The UN is warning that, quote, damage to the planet is so dire that people's health will be increasingly threatened unless urgent action is taken, end quote. The report was produced by 250 scientists and experts from more than 70 countries, and it says that if we do not take drastic measures to scale up environmental protections, that regions in Asia, the Middle East, and Africa could see millions of 
premature deaths by the middle of the century. Much support needed to make these changes is missing from the public, businesses, and political leaders who are hanging on to old and outdated ways of production and development models. However, the technology, science, knowledge, and money is available to move towards more sustainable development. Action must be taken swiftly because the planet is not on schedule to meet any sustainable development goals and any delay in climate action increases the cost of achieving the goals set by the Paris Agreement. For 90.5, I'm Katie Outer with the National News. Wow, that was, uh, that was a lot of doom and gloom. <laughs> I know. I, I did not have a good time writing this newscast today. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If oceans do rise, think of all the new beach property. Mm. So you gotta find a silver lining somewhere. Oh my god! Oh man! <laughs> and all the beach property that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting new reefs. It'll it'll come to Colorado. Sure. We can finally have <laughs> the one mountains day. and the beach. Yeah, <laughs> one day Colorado. Uh, that just sounds like a California. <laughs> Colorado <light>. Beach. <laughs> Hashtag Colorado Beach. Hashtag Colorado Beach. We have a Twitter now. I can say that. It's true. You could always tweet us at uh, KCSU FM. And let us know uh, your thoughts on these dreary, dreary tales. And you can also let us know your thoughts on flipping off police officers. Not something we recommend, but it is currently a hot topic because a woman, and this was in Michigan, but she was pulled over in Michigan, and then she wasn't given a full-on ticket. She was just giving a lesser violation. They don't specify, but probably a warning or something less bad than a speeding ticket and then she was angry still that she even got a violation at all so she flipped off the police officer and then in reaction to her flipping him off he wrote her a speeding ticket which is a higher offense and has more higher cost and fines for her to pay so she sued them saying that him upping her violation because she flipped him off was a violation of her free speech and she won um, that case, the course ruled that flipping someone off is constitutionally protected under the First Amendment with free speech. However, the appeals court is trying to appeal that ruling and saying that the woman should have known better and that she should not have done that to a um, law enforcement officer. A law officer of the law. Uh. <laughs> what? It's a, a l- officer of the law. Oh, okay. Flip the... Did I? Yeah, no, I said that. JD loves to a, say that. Okay. He said that to me the other day. It's true. It's okay. a it's a phrase that comes that I that I say. Okay. I think the moral <laughs> of the story is though, just don't flip off cops. It's like not you can do it and and you're constitutionally protected, but it's dumb. Well, if you'd like to weigh in on this, listeners, give us a text or give us a call at 970-491-5278-970-491 KCSU or tweet us at KCSU FM. Yeah, I don't know. I'm under the impression that it just seems like it was a it was just a bad idea. She was upset that she was getting a ticket and you know, this cop probably wasn't in a great mood. He's probably had a day of dealing with, you know, rowdy mean people and the city's like you know, she she flips the bird and he's like, No. Uh uh-uh, uh, not today. <laughs> I mean, but I feel like this stems to a bigger issue of like cops not being held accountable for their actions and being blamed for other people's actions, if that makes sense. Like, he shouldn't have reacted that way. Like, yes, she was being rude to him. But, again, like, just because someone's rude to you doesn't mean you get to retaliate against them. 
Yeah. I guess for me, I would need to know a little more. Like, I, it, the story doesn't say why she was pulled over in the first place. So, I mean, if she was speeding, then I feel like he did have the right to kind of up. Like, maybe he was being nice and was like, I'll give you a warning. Then she flipped him off and he was like, screw you, I'm giving you a ticket. Mm. But I also don't know why she was pulled over. So if it wasn't speeding related, then I think that is wrong. Yeah, if, like, if she got pulled over for, like, a broken taillight and he was like, got to get that fixed, and she, like, flipped him off. Be like, yeah, you can't, you can't really do that. And that's, I don't know, to to give her a speeding ticket for that, even if she wasn't speeding, you know. Yeah, you can't give. I mean, you can't give speeding tickets. I don't know. We need more details. See, but this is we we need deeper information. I know. I guess I think it is in your right to flip someone off, but you should expect the consequences. Like if I walked into Tony Frank's office and flipped <laughs> him off, don't, I can. Don't do that. I'm a lot, but exactly, I would get in trouble, and Tony Frank would not be. He would happy never with give me. us another snow day again. No, well, he's never. about to be never. gone as our president. That's, so. true. That's true. He maybe Tony that was his hint. Maybe <laughs> that was his last day. Oh my god! Do not do that. Do not. He's a he's a good, kind-hearted individual. <laughs> maybe do our not snow day was this. a parting gift from him. Yes. Aww. Thank you, Tony. We love Tony. We do love Tony. But anyway, that is an example. I think you can flip off whoever you want, but you should deal with the consequences. I think that's true of all free speech, though. Like That is true. You yeah. can say whatever you want, but like you're not free from what other people say to you back. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I guess this one's more of an issue because he is a law enforcement officer. That's so what he, I was going to say. It's like a position power. of power. He's a law yeah. officer of the awe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That makes no sense. I don't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm related to JD's crazy speech. What do you think, Katie? Would would you um, flip off a police officer? I wouldn't. I have gotten very mad at, at cops before, and you know it's easy to get very mad at them. But I just think I just wouldn't. I don't really flip people off when I'm driving, anyways, unless I'm really really mad. I accidentally flipped off an old lady over winter break, so now I'm super careful about it. But I think it just comes down to like. An officer usually has all the power over you, and you just need to respect them if you're going to want to, um, you know, not get in trouble. The the best the best policy my dad always taught me was just respect the cops, and if you do, then... Respect the person with the gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, respect exactly. the person with the gun. Yeah. Respect the person in power who can definitely change your life in a, I agree. In a split I do, second. Yeah. It can be unfortunate. I remember um, there was a case. A friend of mine was pulled over for... She went through a yellow light that turned red mm-hmm. while she was still in the intersection. But mm-hmm. when she started going, it was still yellow. And the cop gave her a ticket, said that's illegal. And later she, like, she's a super nerd. So she looked it up. <laughs> and it's actually legal to go if it's still, like, the cop could not have given her a ticket for that. And she didn't think to look it up later. Mm. But I feel like even if that moment, if she had brought that up, it wouldn't have really made a difference. You know, like, he's in yeah. a position of power. It's true. Like, I don't know. I guess there's not really much you can do, though. Like, you kind of... If you don't well, break the you rules, can, you though, can sue you don't them. have to you suffer the consequences. You can sue them and win, which this woman did. So, I don't know. I would just say, overall, as a general rule, know your rights, but also be nice. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's no reason to be rude. It doesn't right. get you very far. You just look like a bum, and everybody's <laughs> like, look at this rude person. Oh look at them. They got what they deserve because they were rude. 
<laughs> oh my. Well, again, listener, if you have any thoughts, or maybe if you have flipped off a cop, we would love to hear your story. <laughs> Give us a call, send us a text. We won't share your name at 970-491-5278. 970-491-KCSU. But now it's getting to that time of the show with a little segment that you guys all know and love. Everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. Everybody has to deal with it. It is... The weather. Oh my goodness. We got a theme song. That's so exciting. Ooh. I love I love this new theme song. It's, it's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Where'd you guys get that? A good friend of ours made it. Her name's Katie. Oh. She reports for us occasionally. Oh, wow. how nice. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good stuff. I like the varying weather, different seasons. Got it all it's in there. It's true. You go from terrible storm to lovely, lovely spring day. And it's kind of a metaphor for life, you know? Well, There's always it's... the sun after the storm. That's Ooh. how I feel. All right, Caliuchis. I'm just saying. Life is good, guys. Be happy. It's true. This week is almost done. We made it through the snow. What did they call it? The snow su- bomb. The snow bomb. We lived through the snow bomb. We did. We survived. We survived and thrived. And now it's all melted. The day after. Is it melted? Yeah. No. Most yeah. of it is no. melted. I haven't been in a car yet, it is so not... I'm, I'm still nervous. Okay, well, not someone who was on crutches earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it is all not melted. all gone, but most of it is slowly fading away. And you know what tomorrow's going to be? Nice and Woo! sunny. Yes. High of 41, low of 17. A little chilly. Okay, that's a big range, right. you know, but it's fine. You know, it's just it's just the way the Colorado rolls. It's uh, a big ranges. And Saturday, it's going to be a high of 43 and a low of 21. <gasps> St. Patty's Day is going to be nice. And Sunday, it's going to be 47 with a low of 22. All sunny, all three days. Woo-hoo! I'll take it. I'll Yay! take it. A great way to kick off the spring break. And on that note... We would like to let you know that we will not be here next week, so don't tune in 4 to 5. I know. But you can keep that dial locked. It'll be a long break until you hear us again, but we'll be back eventually. Oh, yeah. We'll be back. I'm working on trying to get my tan. I'm going to the beach. I'm going to be a a tanned (laughs) newsman. Oh, yeah? Good thing. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that. I know. They'll they'll... hear the tan in your voice. It's true. (laughs) I'll sound much beachier. That was a poor phrasing. <laughs> I don't like that. I, I will be more relaxed. That's that's okay. You can you'll you'll be able to hear like the Hawaiian shirt in my voice. Oh yes, oh yes, I know. Yeah, well, yeah. This spring break, it'll be fun. If you listeners are having fun spring break plans, tweet us at KCSUFM. Tell yeah. us tell us what you're doing. We, we definitely want to know. And on that note, I would like to thank our lovely reporters, Kitty Otter and Ren Wadsworth. Thank you. As well as our interview. Yes, the Colorado Water Center and Environmental Justice Working Group for informing us about World Water Day. Maximus Hunter for his report on the Boulder International Film Festival in Fort Collins. This is just so much fun to say, but you couldn't say it three times. Mm-mm. I want to thank you, Emily. Oh, thank you. I want to thank you, JD, as well as Henry Netherland. Yes, I was about to say that. For his lovely music segment. All right. Well, keep that dialogue. Up next, we have... Jonathan or 1734 by Jonathan Alexander only here on nine on 90.5 KCSU for Collins. <laughs> 